You're right, guys. Welcome to Jesus Unfiltered, Durham CU's new podcast about how we make sense of Christianity in the modern world. I'm Joseph Knight, a third year studying history at Durham. And I'm Judith Holmes, a second year theology student. In this podcast, we want to chat about 21st century issues in a Christian context, have a look at what the Bible has to say about them, and join in with some important conversations. Today, we're joined by author and founder of charity Home for Good, Krish Kandaya, and he's here to chat to us about free will, what that means for injustice, and how our freedoms have been affected by the coronavirus pandemic. There's not a distinction between belief and behaviour. Those two things are one and the same because we want to love God with all our heart, soul and minds. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for being uh, with us today. Um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Chris Kandaya. I am the founding director of Home for Good, which is a fostering and adoption charity here in the UK. Uh, I have six children and one wife, and I enjoy um, thinking and talking about theology. So it's a pleasure to be with you. And yeah, we're so excited you're here. Um, so obviously today we're going to be talking a bit about um, the concept of free will and how that works um, within the Christian faith. Um, I guess the concept of free will is one of the um, biggest and most widely accepted um, answers to this problem of evil we talk about, um, where if there is a good God, how is there evil in the world? And one of the commonly given answers is that well, as we have free will, we can choose either to do good, but we can also choose to then do evil. So given we know that um, our free will allows, makes space for the devil to work and allows there to be evil in this world, um, why do you then believe that we have been given this ability to make our own choices and that we've been given this free will despite the um, evil it has the potential to um, bring? Wow, fantastic. It's a great question. And these issues are huge for Christians to wrestle with, but actually every single uh, system of thought has to wrestle with this too. So if you're a Christian who really struggles with this, I suppose be encouraged. Um, everyone else has a problem with this issue too. So um, you might have come across the author Sam Harris. He wrote a book about free will from an atheist perspective um, and basically arguing that we don't have free will. Um, but there was a kind of inconsistency in his view in that he still exerted copyright um, over the book. So in other words, he would claim that he had written it and no one else had and no one else had rights to it. So but if he didn't have free will, then he didn't have agency in writing the book. So there's a kind of logical contradiction going. on. Um, so just to encourage you, as we wrestle with this, if you're still kind of confused at the end, that's OK. People have been wrestling with this for a very long time and every system of thought has challenges in kind of combining these kind of elements together i mean specifically looking at the problem of evil you're right you know everyone from c.s lewis to you know all of them are kind of more modern apologists normally jump to free will as an argument for uh, why uh, god allows suffering and i guess it goes down to a kind of relational argument that um you know god wants a genuine relationship with us and a genuine relationship with us is difficult if we don't have the opportunity to choose. Um, so a long time ago, when I was doing lots of university talks, I used to give an illustration of 
uh, I'd ask the audience actually if there was anyone there who had the ability to program their computer, uh, probably an Alexa now could, could do it, to uh, switch on in the morning and uh, to say, hello, uh, whatever your name is, uh, you are the most beautiful and wonderful person in the world and it's a delight to serve you today. And I said, would that be meaningful? And they would say, well, of course not. If I pre-programmed the computer or the Alexa to say that to me, uh, it doesn't have any agency, so therefore it doesn't mean anything. Um, I said, well, how about if uh, my uh, youngest foster daughter, she, she's seven, uh, imagine she came up to you uh, at this event and said, hello, would you be my friend? Would that, would that mean something different to you? And they said, well, yes, it would, because she is a human being. She has freedom. She has choice. And because of that choice, I can have a genuine relationship with her. So Christians believe that God loves the world and he, he love is a choice isn't it it's a it's a it's a relational decision that we make to engage with someone else and to show them care and attention and compassion and god loves the world and therefore wants a genuine meaningful relationship with us and that's only possible once free will is in the equation so there you go start for 10 where else do you want to go what where else do you want to pursue this this fascinating topic kind of on that um line of of making the, making the choice to have that relationship with God and, and obviously one of the only ways we can truly have that intimacy of relationship that, that God has made us for is if we make that choice freely and um, but obviously that leaves room for for, for injustice and um, of, of all kinds of things um but obviously there is a choice there is another choice there um and it's a choice within the church that we can struggle with is, is you know, what to do about that injustice. Um, in Durham here, we have an organisation called Just Love, um, as there are in many other universities. You know, it's the common free will defence, you know, free will not puts evil into the world, but makes a, opens the door to it. Do we have a, another free choice to do something about it? Yeah, great. Um... So definitely free will opens the opportunity for evil to exist in the world. We want to um, assert really clearly that God is good, he's holy. Uh, as uh, said in 1 John, God is light in whom there is no darkness. So God is never the author of evil. Um, and although we've talked a lot about free will, Christians also believe in something called the sovereignty of God. Um, and so somehow, mysteriously, and I'm sure we're going to go there in a minute, uh, God is um, permitting free will to exist, but that doesn't make him the author of evil um, because we have made that choice. Um, and so God is never um, the originator for evil. God gives us human, it gives human beings free will and that free will can be used negatively. But as you say, uh, Joseph, we also have the opportunity to do something about the evil that has uh, come into being in the world. Um, and I think it's an essential part of Christian discipleship to care and be involved in the pursuit of justice. Um, it's weird, actually. I, 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 I was CU president of uh, my Christian union back in the day in Warwick, and there wasn't this big division between Christians that do evangelism and Christians that do justice, um, it was obvious that we would do both. Um, and we, we organized a, a week of events um, with other justice-based 
agencies on campus. So, you know, in co the CU, in cooperation with Am Amnesty International, uh, the Fair Trade Movement, the Green uh, Society, uh, I think we called it World Awareness Week. And we thought it was a Christian duty to be pursuing justice. And as we did that, there were huge opportunities for us to talk about our motivation, the grace of God, the compassion and mercy of God to all human beings. Um, and we had a great debate about why there would be injustice in the world if there was a loving God. And that was folded into part of a justice week. So um, it, it shouldn't be a choice between evangelism and justice. It's one and the same thing um, in that evangelism is our articulation of the good news of the gospel in words and justice is our articulation of the uh, good news of the gospel in deeds yeah 100 and and you know it's it's scattered that idea of, of fighting injustice is scattered all over the bible it's all it's all over the place and so it's it's something that we can into the you know they're, they're two threads of the same string effectively nice. Yeah, yeah. As John Stott would say, um, what would he say? He'd say two blades of the same pairs of scissors. But I like your string analogy. That's good. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, but you were talking a little bit about the sovereignty of God, um, often a response that you'll get from lots of Christians. It's been a response, obviously, that we have cl clung to um, over the last six months with everything going into you know, a pandemic, everything going into chaos that, you know, it's okay because God's in control. God is sovereign. Um, but you know, does that surely that causes problems for for the idea of free will? Um, can we truly call ourselves free and autonomous, autonomous beings um, if you know God is truly sovereign? If God knows everything and knows like each of our moves, surely that would mean. Um, we're not free to make our own decisions. This is a great uh, chestnut of a theological debate, and I'm hoping we can solve it. You know, 2,000 years of theologians have failed to solve it, but in our podcast today, we're going to nail it because, you know, we, we're ambitious, aren't we? Oh, if only. Um, so look, I think in the same way the Bible teaches some things that are mysterious for us to conceptualise, but it doesn't mean it's not true. So, for example, the Trinity, it's really hard to think of an analogy that really helps us grasp the Trinity. Um, you know, Christians have tried it for thousands of years and they normally fall short. You know, ice, water, steam. Well, no, God isn't, you know, one thing that exists in three different forms. He's one uh, being in three persons. You know, so we don't have an analogy for that. And in the same way, it's very hard for us to conceptualise how we put together the clear biblical teaching of the sovereignty of God, that God is Lord and ruler over the whole universe. And yet, uh, he does that in a way that doesn't diminish human responsibility. Those two things are true. Uh, the best way I can think of conceptualising it is, I guess, an anti-illustration. Um, humour me, I, I studied a little bit of science a long time ago. I was a chemist back in the day. And I remember one of our first lectures for physical chemistry was talking about um, the concept of wave particle duality. So you might have seen this, even if you did, you know, GCSE physics, I think they talked about light. Uh, light is a particle, right? It can hit things. There are certain experiments like the photoelectric effect, uh, which only work if light is a particle and has mass, bang, can, can whack things. Um, but there's another experiment which involves a diffraction grating where light 
is in two places. One beam of light is in two places at the same time. Um, and that's, that must mean light is a wave. Um, so scientists are going, oh my goodness, what do we do? You know, in some experiments, light seems to behave like a particle. And in some experiments, light behaves like a wave. And scientists could have said, well, we don't like that wave stuff. That's really complicated. Let's ignore that and just say light is a particle all the other way around. But instead, they demonstrated humility. Now, I know people don't assume scientists are humble, but in this case, they were humble. They said, we haven't got a brain category to put this in. So we'll create a new one. And we've got this new word, we'll call it wave particle duality. And we're saying we're holding these things in tension. We can't, we haven't got a theory that explains how these two things can be true, but we're still going to hold them to be true. And so Christians in the same way, we read the Bible and we say, look, the Bible's clear that God is Lord over all the earth. Like he is the one true king. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority in, on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he is the king. But it also says that we have responsibility. So we're called to repent, to, to turn away from our sins. We're going to be held accountable for how we've lived. Parable of the sheep and the goats. You know, I was hungry, thirsty. I was a stranger. You did nothing about that. And you're responsible for that. And there are consequences for that. So the Bible does seem to hold these two things in tension. And sometimes Christians get it wrong one way or another. We go, well, you know, God is sovereign. Therefore, you have no choices. And everything that happens is God's will. Um, well, no, that's not quite true. Uh, that doesn't hold up to what we know of the whole of Scripture. We believe all Scripture is God-breathed, not just the bits we like. Um, and similarly, sometimes Christians go, well, no, God, God's just kind of working this out as he goes along. He doesn't have a plan. Uh, he doesn't know what's going to happen. Um, the future's open-ended, and therefore, who knows? Uh, but again, no, that's, that's not true to the whole of Scripture. So, you know, Christians, hopefully, in our humility, we say, okay, I believe the Bible, all of it. I can't fit it into my mental categories. Therefore, I'm going to hold two things in tension that I can't quite imagine, but I'm going to trust that God is big enough to kind of hold on to both of these things at the same time. Joseph mentioned earlier um, how um, over the past six, seven months, we've seen um, a lot, um, our freedom be lim limited um, and there have been, many restrictions placed upon what we can and can't do and um, the choices that we can and can't make um, within our days. Um, has this um, personally affected how you've um, connected with God during this time? Um, and I guess we've seen that it ha has had um, very physical effects on how we um, are able to do church. Um, so are there changes within um, your relationship with God and your walk with Christ that has um, looked really different during this time? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. So, yes, being in lockdown has meant that a lot of the plans that I and the rest of the population of the world have made have been derailed. And, you know, I, I was supposed to be in lots of different countries. I was supposed to be in lots of different places events that we had planned around um you know seeking great outcomes for vulnerable children blown up um completely and i guess for me i as i've been thinking about this it, it's true a pandemic can derail your plans but it shouldn't be allowed to uh, destroy your purpose and I, I feel like you know my calling from god has not changed 
but the way in which I work that out has been forced to change. Um, and actually, that's that's okay. You know, you, you read the book of Acts. Uh, uh, right at the beginning of lockdown, I became um, so excited to kind of just think through Acts because it felt like the book of Acts was a brave new world, wasn't it? The church are busting out of just being in Israel and having Jesus physically present to suddenly being completely dependent and reliant on the Holy Spirit in a different way than we were before. And trying to figure out well how do you do the gospel in a non-jewish context in a pagan context in a roman context but you know how do you do that so i'm finding that reliance on the holy spirit that entrepreneurial i um visionary idea of the early church really inspiring as we think okay this isn't what we planned we didn't really know this was coming but what could the spirit of god be leading us to do now and there's, a, there's often a lot of nostalgia in the church. Um, happens a lot, you know, particularly amongst older Christians, that we remember a time when, you know, oh, do you remember when there was revival? Um, you know, and, and God was busting out and, you know, people were getting converted down coal mines and, oh, fantastic. I wish, I wish we could have more of that back like it was. Or do you remember when we used to run things and... Um, Christians were in power and we could do, you know, whatever we wanted. No one would say we couldn't do it. And, and nostalgia, there is something healthy about nostalgia when you're trying to go back to the source. You know, we're going back to uh, biblical Christianity. We go back to scripture. We're hold, trying to hold on to the vision of our spiritual ancestors. That's really important. That's what we call tradition, isn't it? Someone, I think it was Yaroslav Pelikan said that, um, tradition is the living faith of dead men uh, but traditionalism is the dead faith of living men um, I, I don't think he meant to be gender specific it was just how they used to speak in those days because i think men and women are capable of both tradition and traditionalism so that there's a there's an unhelpful form of nostalgia where we just want to go back go back go back go back um, but i think in the book of acts you see something exciting where the church are going okay we're not going back Israel we're not going back to just being the 12 of us following Jesus around we're going forward what's the spirit of God asking us to do now the mission's still the same our purpose is still the same but how that gets worked out is different so I, I found that mindset quite helpful to me that you know in one sense God is not taken by surprise by this even if we are and his purpose for us remains the same we just got to figure out how to join in with what he's doing mm, yeah um that's really helpful thanks Krish um yeah kind of um we obviously were talking a little bit earlier about that that paradox um of of God being in control but also giving us free will um and obviously you've written a book about other Christian paradoxes as well and and the fact that we engage to to have a robust faith we um have to engage with that paradoxology and 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 that kind of thing um but uh another kind of paradox that we've seen um in the church in in this time is you know as the result of our loss of freedom or physical freedom we've been you know confined to our homes um you know we've almost seen a shift that makes the church almost more free in that it's more accessible and more online um, and 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 more accessible for for people and um, you know do you, do you think that there has been that wider shift to, towards the, the, the church modelled in Acts? 
um, that you were talking about. I mean, obviously, at the start of lockdown, there was um, lots of stats um, flying around in the, the media about people tuning into church. And um, the Tim Hughes did um, the, the blessing, um, which I think has now reached four million um, hits on YouTube, which is crazy. Um, you know, has has almost our loss of freedom as a church made us more free? Mm, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I guess I'm I'm genuinely, generally quite an optimistic person, um, and I'm more willing to be excited about new opportunities than losses. But I think pastorally, we do need to be sensitive to those who are really feeling the pain of this moment. So I'm thinking particularly of people who are living on their own, for whom there is no physical contact on a day-to-day basis with other people. And, you know, just, just the pleasure of being handshaked or hugged by someone in church uh, really matters. And I do think there is something important about face-to-face contact. And it's, it's okay to mourn that and miss that. Um, but at the same time, we can get so trapped in the what you know the half glass glass half empty. What have we lost? This lost narrative that we don't see the opportunities ahead. So I I I think there's lots to celebrate. The church went digital in a week. You know, churches that had never had online services suddenly thought, hold on, there's no other way for us to meet. We're going to make a way to do this. Our, our little Baptist church, and I mean little, there were 25 regular people turn up at our church. We help out a church up the road. It was hilarious. The week before lockdown, I was in a church uh, meeting being told off that I'd broadcast the service on Facebook Live uh, because we hadn't double cleared it through our child protection policy, even though there were no children in the building. But anyway, never mind. I'm not bitter about it at all. And um, And then we had lockdown and I was being asked could I help them broadcast every service online and it, it was great and we were able to put it out through um, a Facebook group which all the people in the little village of Haddenham are on because it tells them you know is the GP open you know where do you, when, when, when's bin day all the kind of local village information suddenly our service was there so we were getting hundreds and hundreds of views from people that had never been through the building I'm thinking great that's a win so I do think there are new opportunities and when a new opportunity comes up there are unintended consequences and losses um, and we need to be mindful about how we make the most of that um, and kind of compensate for some of those things but I, I, I do think there's been a new in some places anyway a new interest in um what does it mean to be a local church for the people of our vicinity so this new localism is has come which is odd because you can tune in to any service anywhere in the world now isn't it because you're going to be at home you could go oh i'm just going to pick the one with the funkiest music or the best preaching and never mind if it's three thousand miles away because i can't get there anyway but i've actually seen churches go hold on you know yeah you could do that but what's it going to mean for us to serve this local community? A friend of mine, Rachel Gardner, uh, over in Preston, um, she moved there as part of a church plant recently and found out there were loads of students that got stranded in England uh, who would normally be in Asia. And she thought, oh, OK, how can we serve? And so um, their, their church has been serving 
thousands of meals or helping students to create their own meals. I think she helped them buy materials and then made the church available and they, they made it. Um, and that, that localism, that, you know, the church is more than just a service on a Sunday. The church is also the body of Christ living by the spirit, serving those in need. Um, has come at the same time as we've gone digital so that 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 was the fear that people would have that we would be all digital and not local but actually in the best cases the digital has supplemented and supported the local um i think that's um all the questions we've um got written down but if there's anything else we, we've got a bit of time so if there's anything else you want to discuss you think would be worthwhile to have um within this episode um the floor is yours. <laughs> mm, thank you. I, I mean, I have been thinking a little bit about that kind of evangelism justice thing. Um, and for me, it's it's a shame that we, we seem to have gone back in some areas on this issue. So, you know, John Stott and Billy Graham, they're, they're about as reliable evangelical voices as you can imagine, right? Um, they had this huge gathering in Switzerland, in Lausanne, where that conversation that maybe if you'd have been there Joseph you'd have helped them with this the two threads one string thing um but the the two blades one pair of scissors you know mission is both the proclamation of the gospel in evangelism and the mercy and grace of God shown to those those in need and they're not one doesn't uh, rob the other they're absolutely complementary and yet in in some cases we have gone back in time and you have got the kind of evangelism only kind of crew and the justice only kind of crew and and neither of those positions are helpful if we're not careful we end up with a kind of new form of gnosticism that says belief is the only thing that matters right confession is all that matters which seems to destroy what jesus talks about you know jesus what what are the greatest commandments well it's to love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself well how do we how do we check whether our leaders and our um members of our organizations and CUs and just love and everyone else we're actually living that you know how do we inspire people to not believe it but actually live it obey it so i'd love to find a way we could um, i don't have an answer for you that we could express our commitment that yes the doctrinal st- statement message tick 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 i'm in but we also believe that we need to do something about it and there's, there's not a distinction between belief and behaviour. Those two things are one and the same because we want to love God with all our heart, soul and mind. We've both really enjoyed chatting to Krish today um, and have both taken a lot away from what he said. And we really hope you have too. Thank you so much to everyone who's tuned in and look out for a second season coming soon. Yeah, so this is our final episode of the season. Um, we really hope you've enjoyed all the chats that we've had with some really amazing speakers and and while you wait for season two there are a number of things you can do in the meantime Uh, first is the durham cu carol service which is on the 30th of november and that will be broadcast online so do tune into that also look out for our other outreach schemes like big question and keep an eye on our social medias for any more updates if you have any questions we'd love to hear from you Uh, but for now it's goodbye
Join us next week for the last episode of this season, where we'll be talking to author and founder of charity Home for Good, Krish Kandaya, about the relationship between God and our own free will, what that means for injustice, and how our own freedoms have been affected by the coronavirus pandemic.